This is an ABC podcast. In 1998, a 7.0 magnitude earthquake caused a devastating tsunami to hit Aitape and the surrounding northwest coast of Papua New Guinea. I didn't know this disaster would happen. I was shocked when the tsunami hit us. We have never seen a tsunami before and everyone was shocked too. I had to run. Ursula Tawiri lived in a small village in Aitape. It was a wonderful day in the village, but it was particularly joyous for her because she was nine months pregnant with her first baby and excited as any day now she would give birth. But all of a sudden, her world was turned upside down when the tsunami hit. I thought if I followed the highway, the waves would kill me and my baby. So I ran near the lagoon. We lived in an area between the sea and a big lagoon. When I was running, I saw the waves come up and carry me away towards the lagoon. So I swam. When I went underwater, I thought of my unborn baby. When she resurfaced, everything was dark. I held on to a floating log which saved me. People were coming on boats and rescuing people. Lots of people died. I didn't have any serious injuries or anything like that because I was thinking of my baby. The Aitapi tsunami killed at least 1,600 people, injured more than 1,000 and wiped out entire villages. It's estimated that around 10,000 people lost their homes. Six care centers were established to provide shelter and essential services. And that's where Ursula ended up. I was nine months pregnant. The next day, I gave birth to my daughter at the care center. I gave birth using traditional methods. My mother and sister were there, so they helped me to give birth to my firstborn daughter. Ursula was not the only pregnant woman caught in the disaster. The nurses at the care center called them the tsunami babies, the children born in the aftermath. And while it's one of the most harrowing disasters the Pacific has experienced, the region has so many floods, cyclones, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, natural disasters that shake our very existence. And with the effects of climate change upon us, there will be more to come. So how do you prepare for the miracle of life under such deadly circumstances? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about giving birth during natural disasters. Surviving an environmental disaster and its aftermath exposes pregnant women to psychological and physical stresses. Studies have shown that these stresses can begin just before a disaster strikes and linger long after the event has passed. So as well as the logistical challenges of being heavily pregnant, in labor or caring for a newborn during a disaster, the stress of that experience can also impact the health and well-being of mother and baby.
So what is the best way to plan for pregnancy and births during disasters? How can Pacific governments and disaster response teams better support women whose babies come at the worst possible time? Langi Poiva Sherelle Jackson has spent the past 20 years as a journalist reporting on climate change. But in 2013, she experienced its disastrous effects firsthand when she gave birth between two cyclones that hit Samoa. We were hit by Cyclone Evan in late 2012, and it was one of the worst cyclones to hit us, you know, in recent history. And um, my daughter was due in January of 2013, was going to be about December, but she came late. So Cyclone Evan hit and it took it took Samoa about maybe one to two months before power was restored water was restored, um, and all the essential services. In the meantime, I was in my last month of pregnancy with my daughter. And on the morning that she was due, you know, Cyclone Gary was meant to hit Samoa that afternoon. So as we were going to the hospital, the country was already preparing for another cyclone. Wow. And the second cyclone hit when you were in labor. What happened? When I was in labor... Cyclone Gary was meant to hit that evening. So all of the power had gone off uh, already and the hospital was now using a generator. The good thing is the doctors were now all in the hospital on standby. Um, So as I was wheeled in, Cyclone Gary was meant to be hitting any hour. Uh, Fortunately for me, the cyclone did not hit But the initial kind of response and impact was already there with the power, the flooding and, you know, the heavy rains. But it never escalated fully to the degree that they anticipated. So it was, yeah, it was scary. It was scary as a mom. It's scary as a new mom to have your first baby amidst cyclones. This must have been really terrifying. Um, What was going through your mind at that time? Oh, for me, I was like, please. Dear God, I hope the power doesn't go off, right? Um, Because I ended up having an emergency uh, cesarean. So I was wheeled into the emergency room while the power was flickering. That's scary. That is really scary, my goodness. And in my mind, I was like, do you really need power when you're going under? (laughs) I was thinking, surely the oxygen is connected to electricity. How is that going to work? Do they have a a backup system? So it was was certainly a a moment there where, you know, uh, things were not making sense when you're in that level of panic, bringing a child to this world while also trying to make sure that you survive. It worked out fine in the end. You know, and my daughter was born and I heard that cry for the first time and it was a beautiful moment, but still doesn't take away from the fear because as we're getting, as I'm getting wheeled in, I could also see the doctors were anticipating something to arrive. Um, So as far as I was concerned, you know, we were all preparing for the cyclone to arrive as my daughter was also arriving. What did you name your baby? So her name is, as per custom in Samoa, we name our children after significant events that occur at the time of their birth. So her name is Sao Ililangi, which means cloud in the sky or sky gatherer. Um, and her second name is storm, signifying the, the cyclones by which she arrived in. 
So every time we say her name and as she grows, that marks that moment in our family's history where we had a birth amid cyclones. That's beautiful. How is she doing now? She's like a cyclone in the way that she is with life. <laughs> so, so she's cute. doing very well. <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. And what what are the biggest issues facing pregnant or new moms and the babies in these natural disasters? Well, for you know, for moms in in islands and for moms in Samoa, you know that access right because. Labor doesn't wait for the cyclone to subside. You still have to make it to the hospital. You still have to get essential services, um, you know, prenatal services. So I think the issue there is that there needs to be some sort of outreach um, to women in rural communities who may need emergency assistance, like myself, so that moms are safe, um, so that babies are safe in times of disasters. But it does require concerted efforts by governments and, you know, nonprofits to to assist. In a lot of Samoan villages, there still remains a fatso sanga or a traditional midwife. So even within the framework of modern health systems, uh, we still maintain traditional uh, midwifery uh, services within districts. So it is, there's always one woman within every eight or 10 villages who can perform midwifery services in the traditional way in, in our homes or in Fales. So there's that fallback for many women during times of disasters. And that's really going back to ancestral and traditional knowledge. Is it getting worse as climate change is causing more cyclones and floods or are we getting better at planning for childbirth during disasters? To be fair, there's no specific services for childbirth during disasters. So extreme weather events are worsening on our islands um, and in Samoa for sure. So flooding, um, storm surges and, you know, frequent storms and high wind events, they are, these are occurring at a more frequent pace. So naturally, this means that access for women who are giving birth will also be impacted as a result of these extreme weather events. But I don't see concerted efforts to address that particular hardship with women. For myself, at the time, going into labor amid cyclones, you know, we have the means and we had a vehicle to take me to the hospital. My sister's a nurse. My mom's a very strong advocate. So we were fine. But not everyone has those resources or that support system. And a lot of women in rural areas require a bus. And when you have a cyclone, buses don't operate. When there are bridges that go down, buses cannot reach, you know, the clinics and the hospital. So it is worsening and it is an area that certainly needs uh, support, especially for our rural women. What are the long-term impacts that natural disasters have on uh, maternal care services? How does the destruction of a cyclone, f you know, flow on from for years? One of my favorite stories I ever wrote was potholes affecting 
women. So there were some of some of the largest potholes in the village of Motuotua were actually in front of the maternity ward. So you hear these nightmare stories of women who are in those final stages of labor and their car or taxi takes them through these potholes and that just drives her over the edge. <laughs> so when you talk about like long-term impacts of cyclones, the, the damage to infrastructure affects accessibility of services for young women, for women who are going through labor or who are expecting and then the direction of funding in a disaster, a lot of funding goes into restoring services across the board. Um, and so naturally, a lot of the, you know, the funding might be diverted from, say, where maternal health could benefit from funding. That was climate change reporter Langi Poiva Shrewell Jackson, who heard her daughter in the aftermath of one cyclone and leading into another. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. After environmental disasters, people often spend months or even years in temporary shelters, and many need to be relocated because their homes are too prone to further disasters. So as well as the stress and terror of giving birth during a disaster, another way that environmental catastrophes impact pregnant women and mothers of newborns is the long periods of displacement. Betty Baca is a PhD candidate at Monash University focusing on gendered impacts of climate change, particularly planned relocation and displacement in the Pacific. She told me governments across the Pacific are incorporating the increasing risk of natural disaster in their development plans. So one of the things that I've specifically found in the community was that expected mothers are particularly impacted in the case of um, sudden impacts of which, which come in the form of flooding and cyclones. And for pregnant women, this is an incredibly turbulent time. One participant in particular actually said there was a time that they had to be evacuated during tropical cyclone Winston. She was five to six months pregnant at that time. Um, her experience at the evacuation center was so horrible that she's vowed never to go back, even if she was not pregnant, and she's chosen to live with family members or friends instead of going to the evacuation center. The reason she said was that even in the evacuation center, not only is sanitation and hygiene an issue, but it's also about the comments that she receives from men on her body and just how uncomfortable the space was for her as an expecting mother. While emergency services may respond to communities, what are some extra challenges that women, especially in such conditions, face during a disaster? In the Fijian context, they have been able to proactively develop a cluster within the protection mechanism, which gets activated any time a crisis, a natural disaster strikes. And within that cluster is a specific component focused on protecting and safeguarding gender concerns. I think it's very important to demonstrate that the political willingness of people to protect people, but also the leadership, you know, Fiji's National Disaster Management Organization is being led by a woman, is also very crucial in how their disaster response uh, mechanisms get carried out. I think ongoingly finding safe spaces for women in particularly expecting mothers and younger mothers is extremely difficult, but it is changing. 
And one of the other things that has come forth in my research is that people actually really, really care about their children and the future in the Pacific. And this is across people of various ethnicities, of cultural backgrounds. There is a culture of custodianship. So everybody wants to make the world better for their children and, and their future. And so in response to doing that, they acknowledge that, yes, you know, women and girls experience this vulnerabilities. Um, they're not safe in these spaces, but I don't want it to be like this anymore. So I'm going to change it. And so there was willingness from men and fathers who took hold of that responsibility and showed signs of like enabling environment discussions were happening or when public health outreach was happening. And with relocation of communities to different places, what are services like for these displaced people and are they specifically, you know, antenatal care and services for expecting mothers and babies? In the Fijian context, I think currently they've been very open that they're still learning and there is no singular way to do any form of planned relocation. There is recognition, particularly for Indigenous people, on how traumatic it can be, uh, especially with their connection to the land and the ocean. So it has not been easy uh, for expecting mothers, but with development of stringent standard operating procedures for uh, planned relocation efforts um, in Fiji particularly, they are focusing, you know, very, very tangibly on, on what should be done to identify pregnant women and how to implement an early warning care surveillance system and how that can be embedded throughout the process. For the few villages, the six villages that have been fully or partially relocated. One of the things that has come up through previous research is actually that the quality of life and access to healthcare has improved in the sites of planned relocation. Um, so that is a, a significant change that's happening. But the Fijian government is aware that it's not just about primary healthcare, it's also about the emotional and mental well-being of people and that they are trying to improve ongoingly. That was Betty Barker, who is studying a PhD at Monash University. In June 2019, the Mount Ulawun volcano in the West New Britain province of Papua New Guinea erupted, displacing thousands of people. The sudden impact of the eruption made it impossible for people to access basic services. There was chaos and confusion as more than 2,700 people lost homes and their daily food and water sources in the villages. Timmy Supin is the president of the West New Britain Red Cross branch, which was involved in the relief and emergency work during the disaster. West New Britain is a disaster-prone province, with Mount Wulawun described as one of the world's most hazardous volcanoes. One of the lessons learned from the 2019 disaster was the lack of support for pregnant women and newborn babies. We went to one of the canvas where all the some of the pregnant mothers they were lying, they no uh, Mary blouse or no whatever, but just a lap lap to cover themselves with a belly lying very uncomfortably and babies are crying on the other side, hungry. You know those things, it's very, very sad to see that. 
very, very sad. That is so heart heartbreaking. That is just so heartbreaking. Mm, yes. What would you like to be able to offer, uh, for example, a pregnant mom or a mom who's about to give birth or even those with babies in particular? Well, uh, in our situation in our country, I reckon we, we need to more organize. When the next disaster comes, we should know what to do and where to locate uh, all these uh, pregnant mothers and the babies and especially the old people. Uh, like when disaster strikes, they don't really worry about this, you know, these uh, very important people. Uh, you, when you start seeing them, your tears will be falling because they are not in their normal situation. Uh? Now, they sleep on the grass without uh, a proper canvas or tarpaulins to be provided and all that kind of thing. Especially when it strikes and everybody are not organized, but they're all over the place. Everywhere is people, just scattered all everywhere. But uh, I think that um, uh, the next disaster, we learned a lot of experiences and the hardships that we've gone through during that uh, time of emergency when uh, Mantulewun erupted. And now we know where to reorganize ourselves when the next disaster strikes. Next time, like we read, because we have to put up a place where we cater for those people only. So we put our attention to them, huh? Uh, in terms of medication and all that. Even we have uh, uh, medical teams on the ground, but not enough manpower. And then again, the shortage of drugs. We need training for midwife uh, uh, women to do that during disaster. Because when it comes to giving birth, well, how she find herself to get help? It's up to individual or whoever is affected. Or maybe their own uh, closer relatives living with them during that time. For a volcano disaster, the issue of quality of the air that people breathe may be a concern. What impact can that have on newborn babies? Oh, they get very sick. For medical people, yes, they would uh, tell you what they have experienced uh, by giving the drugs and all that. But you think the shortage of drugs already taking place because so many people having the same call for um, diarrhea, the babies, because they're not uh, getting, and they get cold, malaria, because no uh, proper blankets, no proper water to cover them, uh, because they're small babies. How do the mothers cope? during a situation like this with all the challenges that they face? They have to. They have to struggle to survive. Uh, they go to back to the uh, old traditional way of looking after themselves and taking care of themselves. How they bond the new babies and how they treat themselves. Timmy Supin is the president of the West New Britain Red Cross branch. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. At the start of the program, you heard about the tsunami that hit Aitape and left devastation in its wake. Ursula Tawiri's niece, Alice Aussie, was just seven years old at the time, but she remembers it as if it were yesterday. Alice lost three siblings and her grandfather in the disaster, and this is the first time that both she and Ursula have spoken about their experience. Next year, we will mark 25 years since the Atape tsunami, and we will share her story in more detail then. Here is a short part of her memories from that day. Mom, I'm looking thought rain was coming. There was a big rain coming. 
But as you look closer and look, look again, she saw that no, there were white tips. Kind of symbol, so and Brook, it was coming towards the land. And then she called to dad and said, hey, there's a big wave coming. And dad was like, ah, you German. And she said, no, you, you can't look, look, go down. And then he ran up, stood at the veranda of the house and looked down the beach and looking for Solara and come. And then he said, run. That, that these observations you're making from, you know, seven years old, and it's amazing what you, you can still remember. It's like fresh in your mind. What did you remember about women who were pregnant or had to give birth after the tsunami? Um, that, you know, something, something, they don't allow us children to kind of say, go stay with all mama, they are pregnant. So when the mothers are pregnant now, only like current baby, this kind, they were midwives in the village who said to assist. Misa look him all papa, but just sit down, look, 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 let us all, look, 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 face, look, mama, who said him that every now, they would kind of say, talk to an elderly woman or something or say, and then this elderly woman, but she seen this like Mary, go to one lap, I don't know, some place where all the people are going to be straight this like mama or current baby. And then this like Mary come back, me for look also, I'm current baby now come. So pregnant mothers during, who were in relocated care centers, they didn't give birth in hospitals? Is that what you say? No, no. We live in the care center, so the father of the child or the husband to the wife, he would look at the wife's facial expression and then go and see a midwife in the village or he would see his mom or his aunt and then they would come take his wife away to a nearby bush and she would give birth. And then we would see that see the woman, the wife, written with a baby. So there was no hospital, there was no doctor, there were only village mid- midwives. Wow. What sort of supports and services does your community now have when it comes to childbirth? Um, there was no support. Uh, after that, the community, they relocated. Some lived back in the village, some moved to Vanimo, some came to Aitape. And those that were in the town areas like Vanimo and Aitape, they went to the hospitals to give birth to their children, their babies. Those that stayed back in the village gave birth in the village. They don't go to a hospital or a post and give birth there unless they face complications. Now, this precious seven-year-old girl and yourself now being a mom yourself, having lived through this disaster and a mother. If anything like this happened again, uh, what do you think would help pregnant mothers and those with young babies? They would need special counseling and support from the hospital and whatever authorities consent. They should come and conduct counseling for the mothers how to look after their children. If they want to give birth, they should go to this, they should do that. If they are to give birth in the village, this is how they should do it, something like that. This would mean a lot to this rural woman. That was Alice Orsi, a freelance journalist who survived the Atapi tsunami when she was just seven years old. And as I mentioned, next year will mark the 25th anniversary of the Atapi tsunami, and we will share more of her story with you as we commemorate it. For Ursula Tawiri, it took a long time to resettle after the disaster, but her family and her faith were key to her survival. I'm 98 years old. 
We were at the care center whole of 1998 and moved on to a new place in 1999. My baby was a normal baby. My baby is now 24 years old and she's got her own family now. I also have another daughter. During these hard times, I had support from my father. My father is a man of faith and he would tell us to trust God with everything. I did that and I was saved that time. My faith is what got me through. Thanks to all my guests today, Ursula Tauri, Alice Ossi, Betty Baka, Timmy Supin, and Langi Poiva, Sherelle Jackson. You have been through so much and we thank you for sharing your stories with us. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is sistas at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, prepare to be inspired when I go into a deep conversation with Frances Vakauta. She's been a trailblazer in education in the Pacific, an author and poet. And she also explores the cultural and traditional knowledge passed down from her mother and grandmother. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stunsner. Our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol you next time.